Let's once again, let's go to, in prayer. Lord Jesus, we have gathered in this place to honor you, to worship you, to exalt your name, and to do it together. We also recognize that when we gather together, and we gather in a corporate sense, as little as two and as many as, as can gather, that you're with us. And so we know that as we gather together that you speak to us, you work in our hearts, you reveal to us, you reveal to us in settings like this in ways that you do not reveal to us in other ways, and especially when we're by ourselves. <clears throat> so I pray this, this morning that your word would be clear to us, your, your heart would be clear. And that you would help me to speak your words and not mine, and yet to not uh, withdraw or hold back. I pray for each one of us as we, as your word is expounded upon, that we would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. Maybe in different ways and maybe even different topics, but we would hear you. Change us from the inside out. We pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, we've got a, we've got a really, uh, lighthearted, uh, fun-filled, uh, topic today. Uh, in the title of today's message is God's Wrath and the Human Condition. Uh, and this is, and we'll deal with it a little bit later, but this is obviously a topic that sometimes is avoided. And uh, people don't want to talk about this part of God's nature. But in view of Easter or Resurrection Sunday, whichever you prefer, we will today consider the plight of the human race. You can't look at Easter, which is obviously what, two weeks from today? You can't look at Easter without looking at the wrath of God. Without the wrath of God, there's no Easter. No need for Easter. And until we fully understand, fully grasp God's wrath and the human condition, we really can't fully grasp the truth and the impact of the resurrection. Until we really see the wrath of God towards the human race. We really can't see what happened on Good Friday. It's funny we named it Good Friday. It's good for us. We really can't see what that means to us until we understand what really happened on that Friday or Thursday and what really happened on that Sunday morning. We really want to appreciate Easter. Or the cross, which may be why uh, there is a, uh, a neglect sometimes today in pulpits. There's a neglect of preaching the cross. People are afraid to preach the cross. They're afraid to talk about the cross because it, it doesn't make us feel good. Now, I want you to know today that. We're going to deal most of today with God's wrath 
The, the intention for that is to not make you feel bad. As a matter of fact, the more you see what God's wrath what really is and why it is, the more I hope it makes you feel good. Uh, I'm not wanting to make you feel sad. I want you to be glad. Because as the old African-American preacher said, it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday always comes. We will deal in the future uh, with the, we will deal with the rescue by the Lord Jesus out of this plight of the human condition. We will deal with a few verses and a few thoughts today so you don't leave here feeling like a worm. But let me just say this in all seriousness. Unless we see the human race as a worm, we don't understand God's grace and mercy. I just lost somebody. Let's read uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. And we'll let Paul do the speaking or the Holy Spirit do the speaking through Paul as he writes this letter to the Roman church. Uh, if you would stand while I read, I'm going to read verses 9 through 26. And if you can't stand that long, you're not going to offend me. Um, verse 9 in the English Standard Version. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Now, the word Jews is not in most of the manuscripts there. It really better to read, are we any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all. Everybody say all. all. And what does all mean in the Greek? All. Boy, y'all are so astute. Both Jews and Greeks, that covers everybody pretty much, are under sin. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Somebody asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? There's your answer. There are no good people. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they have become worthless. You feel bad yet? No, just hang in there. You'll get better. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, which is the root problem of all of that. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being, let me just reword that for us, by works, by human works, no human being will be justified in his sight. There is nothing, say nothing, nothing, you can do to present yourself justified before God. No amount of good works. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, this, this is the better part over here, so, so just hang in there. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. And verse 23 tells it. For all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. 
I think you know what that means. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That's another topic I can't take time to deal with. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You can be seated. Lord, help us. Paul makes no bones about it. Paul does not sugarcoat his message to the Romans. There is none righteous. Now, it's interesting that in that passage, he takes several several passages from the Old Testament and put them together, Psalms, some others. But the bottom line is that at the end of the day, in the sense that I know there are good people who do good things. You know, I read yesterday or today uh, that the University of South Carolina women we're in a game, I think against UCLA, and uh, one of the UCLA players was injured, fell down on the floor, was writhing in pain. Whatever For whatever reason, the referee didn't have eyes in the back of his head or her head, I don't know. They didn't stop the game for the lady who was injured. And so South Carolina had a five-on-four advantage on a fast break. But instead, Coach Dawn Staley called timeout to allow them to tend to the other player, other team's player. Doesn't happen much in sports. Well, that's a good thing. It's, they're not going to get you to heaven, but that's a good thing. There are none righteous as we stand before God. None righteous. No, not one. We are all infected with a deadly virus. It's not COVID. Somebody, you know, some gonna have COVID, but that there's something even deadlier than COVID, and that's sin. Every person who's born is born infected with this virus. It it entered the human race in the garden. When that old deceiver tempted Eve, and Adam stood right beside her. Remember, the Bible says Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Adam t- chose to just chose to do a stupid thing. And when they partook of that forbidden fruit, sin became a part of the human race. And so down through the generations, the sinful nature has spread and continues to spread throughout the human race through propagation. Paul again writes in Romans 5, death spread to all. There's our word all again. It doesn't leave anybody out. Death spread to all men, and that's mankind, because all sinned. James, the, the brother of our Lord, wrote, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin is a killer. Sin, my wife said yesterday, why, why do we get old? Why does all this, you know, well, for one thing, gravity. But I said the main problem is 
sin. It started in the garden. It continues. Paul writes, by one man's disobedience, y'all know who that was. It's interesting he didn't say by, by, by one woman. Again, she was deceived. He was not. By one man's disobedience, many, it's interesting it says many, were made sinners. And David even helps us with this as we look upon this virus that's been propagated down through the years through the human race. David, the psalmist, David, the one who God said is a man after my own heart, David who was a King David, who the Lord promised through covenant that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne. And today, David's descendant does sit on the throne, the Lord Jesus. This David wrote and sang, imagine singing this in a song, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. What if we, on Sunday morning, what if we sang that? (laughs) Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Yeah, okay, that'd make me feel real good. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, I'm going to be gentle here, I hope. The conception was not... Okay, let me say it this way. Conceiving was not the sin. The sin was the, the propagation of the human race. Because once the bloodline was tainted, every person who was born after that was also tainted. And is tainted. With the virus, the deadly virus called sin. Feel good yet? Sigmund Freud correctly concluded that out of the heart of man proceeds all manner of evil. Man is sinful from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. John Calvin called this total depravity. I don't agree with everything that the reformers taught. I don't agree with everything uh, that Calvinism teaches. Uh, but I am a partial Calvinist in that I believe in total depravity. Again, a person may be doing good things, but in the sight of God and standing in God's presence without the work of Jesus Christ, there's, we have nothing to offer except total depravity. The poison of sin that was started and entered in the garden, it knocks the bridge out between us and God. I'm not a big fan of taking songs that someone has written and or recorded or both and re, redoing the song. Um, I'm, I, I'm just not a big fan. I figure if somebody spends enough time writing a song, if you if you write your own doggone song, <laughs> don't steal theirs and change the words. But having said that, somebody took the words to uh, the bridge over troubled waters and changed it to say Jesus was the bridge over troubled waters, which is kind of trite to me. And again, I say, why didn't those folks just write their own song? But Jesus is that bridge that sin knocked out. In the garden, we see the devil tempting Adam and Eve 
with personal promotion. You know, we have met the enemy and he is us. Personal promotion and personal elevation has always been a temptation that is easily, easily rationalized. The devil said to Eve, what, what did God say? Did God, remember, God didn't say anything to Eve. She hadn't been made yet. He, all right, that for me. God told Adam, and then he made Eve, and Adam's responsibility was to tell Eve. But the devil said, look, if you, you know, God, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because you'll be like him. And what did Eve say? What does the Bible say? It's interesting what the Bible says. It says, Eve saw the fruit and thought that it looked good to eat. What is that? Rationalization. Oh, I'm going to eat it because it tastes good. No, that's not why she took it. She took it because he just told her, if you eat that, you'll be like God. The basic sin was then, and the basic sin today is unchecked personal ambition. Desiring to be equal to, or in a lot of cases, above God. Let's face it that we human beings have to resist the temptation of placing ourselves above God in our lives. Because we think we're smarter than Him. No one would ever say that. No one, yeah, I believe I'm smarter than God. No one would say that, but our lives say that. You've heard me quote Brother Charles who say, you know, we all really love Jesus a lot. And we're glad for what he did for us, but we don't, we don't really think he's very smart. Of course, if we did, we'd do what he said. This is the human race. At the moment in the garden of the departure from God's clear instructions, <clears throat> there was no, oh, I, I got to get interpretation on this. It wasn't none of that. It was don't, you can eat that tree, that tree, that one over there. You can't eat it. Very clear. At that moment of departure from his clear instructions, a complete God awareness, remember, all they had was God. A complete God awareness was replaced with self-awareness and self-consumption. They were consumed. How else could they know they had no clothes on? They didn't care before. Why didn't they care before? Because they were 100% God aware and they were 0% self-aware. But in the moment that the deadly virus came into the garden and tainted the human race, the Bible says they became aware that they were naked and they found some fig leaves. Of course, God helped them out. And I hate to make Peter mad, but God killed some animals and made them some clothes. This is the condition of the human race. Here's the good news, and we're going probably over the, well, no, definitely next Sunday and definitely Easter, we'll definitely deal with the better news, but the good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. But the news is that we are, we were destined for God's wrath. 
Uh, Ephesians 2, just a few uh, a few verses there. Ephesians 2, chapter uh, verse 1, I'm sorry. Paul writes, you were dead in trespasses and sins. So, well, you know, that can be interpreted many ways. No, it can't. <laughs> you were dead. Why were you dead? In trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. There's some good news. You once nor is in the past you walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the same devil that was in the garden, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, did you know Paul writes we there, he didn't have a mouse in his pocket. He was writing about everybody. We all, there's our word all again, once lived in the passions of our flesh. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body or the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Here's, here's like the rest of mankind. We were destined to be children of, we were destined for God's wrath. Why? Because we had a deadly virus called sin. He goes on to describe this condition just over in Ephesians 4. It's going to say 18, but I'm going to start with 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, Gentiles here in context is not just the race of Gentiles, but all of those who are not believers. As a matter of fact, in the old King James, it might have said pagans. It says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity darkened this is this is the condition of humanity outside the work of the cross and the resurrection darkened in their understanding alienated and you can see this again in colossians 1 to 1 alienated from the life of god separated from in my opinion that's what hell is i know there's flames there but the real problem with hell is separation and alienation from God. Ignorance. And their ignorance was due to the hardness of their hearts. He says they were past, they were callous or they were past feeling. And that word there in the original text is a word that means to, to have ceased to care. They, they passed feeling they don't care anymore. And so what happens is if you're darkened in your understanding and you're alienated from the life of God and you're ignorant due to the hardness of your heart and if you don't care anymore, the next thing that happens is naturally that you're given over to sensuality. You, 
You're trying to satisfy the senses. Because you can't, you don't have any satisfaction anywhere else. You don't have any hope. You don't have any peace. You know, as the old Rolling Stone song, I can't get no satisfaction. It's funny how in songs you can get by with double negatives. Bad grammar, nobody cares. I can't get no satisfaction. So I'm going to satisfy something. And we satisfy the senses. And that's what happens in the human condition of sin. It's an ugly description, but an accurate one that Paul gives us. Which brings us to the wrath of God. Paul writes in Romans 11, a verse that we don't hear quoted very often. Notice then the kindness and severity of God. I don't know how many, y'all have heard me, but I don't know how many times I've heard people say, now, the God of the Old Testament, he's mean. (laughs) He's fire breathing. He's ready to crush people. He's mad. He stays mad. Now, Jesus, he's loving. Jesus loves everybody. And then I see him cracking that whip in that temple. (laughs) Wait a minute. And by the way, the God of the New Testament, not just Jesus, but the God of the New Testament is just like the God of the Old Testament. He said, the New American Standard, maybe the King James says, behold the kindness and behold the severity of God. And we have groups that major on one of them or the other. We have groups that over ma- over major, over talk about the kindness and the goodness of God. We don't want to talk about any other part of God's nature, just that he's a good God, he's a kind God. And we have other groups that never want to talk about anything but the severity of God. And they're the ones that yell a lot. But if you want to know God, you better understand that he's a kind God. But there's also some severity that comes with him. David Schrock with the Gospel Coalition says, God's wrath in perfect harmony with all, with all of his divine attributes is the holy action of retributive justice towards persons whose actions deserve eternal condemnation. There is no question that the human race beginning at the Garden of Eden, excuse me, deserved eternal condemnation. No question. Somebody said, well, uh, I'm not going to say that. No. I will say this. The wrath of God, everybody say must. See, must inevitably come upon wrongdoing. And this, Lord, help me to explain this. This is not because God's walking around with with some wrath. It's funny I use the Bible for wrath. Maybe I ought to use something else. God's not walking around with wrath in his hand looking for you to crush you with it. No, that's not it. God is God. And, and it's interesting that Schrock talks about 
the all of his divine attributes. God's divine, oh, don't fall down. Divine attributes are many. And one of them is, probably the main one is that God is love. But we, but part of God's makeup, I start to say physical makeup, but part of God's makeup and attributes is that he cannot uh, withstand sin. He cannot Behold sin. Which is why Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, why did you forsake me? Because in that moment, God, Jesus didn't just take our sins, people. He became sin. And so God's divine attribute of wrath had to, in that moment, turn away from his son. And the wrath of humanity was taken out on him. Wrath must come upon wrongdoing. Publilius Cyrus said, when the guilty are acquitted, the judge is condemned. When the guilty are acquitted, the judge is condemned. Why is that? Because the wrath, the judgment has to be exercised. God's justice demands that the sinner be punished. Demands. Not because God is mean, but because God is God. And the entirety of who God is includes his inability to stand the presence of sin. And it must be punished. Or if not, God would be condemned. And we know that can't happen. J.I. Packer, another great theologian, summarizes it this way. God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. It is who God is. It is not what he does. The wrath of God. So my, my my OCD won't let me look at that anymore. <laughs> and we deal with a problem, as I alluded to earlier, I'm not going to get deep into these weeds, but we deal with a problem and people do not want to talk about this because they're afraid of making somebody feel bad, because we know that the whole reason that we want you to come to church is so that you leave here feeling good. I don't want you to leave here feeling good or feeling bad. I want you to leave here having received a deposit from what God put in you, and if that makes you convicted, then so be it. You know, if the shoe fits, wear it. But if it leaves... If you leave here motivated, so be it. If the shoe fits, wear it. Richard Niebuhr, great theologian, famously described Protestant liberalism's gospel this way. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. 
how did he know? How could he describe our conditions so accurately when he died in 1962? And yet here we are today and we still deal with a gospel that has no cross, a gospel that has no wrath, a gospel that has no judgment. What are you going to escape if you don't have any of that stuff? Why would Jesus even need to die? What we know he did. Because, as I said earlier, we are children destined for wrath. We were children destined for wrath. Paul writes again to the Romans, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Revealed from heaven. Where does that leave us? Boy, if that was the end of the story, it'd be a bad day. But we all know that it's not the end of the story. Yes, the wrath of God does and did punish sin. Still hadn't it hadn't changed. But we got this word that I often joke about, and I read it in, in the text earlier. We got this word that that we don't use very often called propitiation. I would just highly recommend if you're witnessing to someone, do not use this word. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get it. What is this word, propitiation? Well, there's many ways to describe it, but it's the appeasement of divine wrath by a sacrificial offering. The appeasement of God's wrath. So you can't get God to not exercise his wrath any more than I can get you to not breathe. So something has to happen. There has to be an appeasement. And the appeasement isn't, well, God, I'm not going to do it anymore. Because our nature says that's not true. Our nature, without without being born again, our nature says, I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing no matter what I say. The atonement or the atoning sacrifice that was offered to God is perpetuation to assuage his wrath and render him propitious to sinners. Don't use that word either. It, it allows him to exercise his mercy to the human race. The word propitious is disposed to be gracious or merciful, ready to forgive sins and bestow blessings and it, as it is applied to God. I'm going to say this, be real clear. When we talk about the atonement, when we talk about the atoning sacrifice, when we talk about the appeasement of God's divine wrath, we are not talking about a wiping away. God, when you said, God, forgive me of my sins, he did not pick up an eraser and erase the record of your sins. But what happened is Jesus 
took a piece of chalk or a pen or a heavenly highlighter, and he wrote, paid in full. Paid. And that's why the wrath of God is appeased because somebody, some human, died for the human race. That sacrifice that died for the human race, he was human, but because he was God, it was a perfect sacrifice. For he who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the wrath has been abated, not removed. It's been, the wrath was not removed. Jesus took our wrath. Jesus, Jesus took upon himself the sin of humanity and the separation. He was alienated from God in that moment on the cross. His blood, when you say the blood of Jesus satisfied God's wrath, what does the blood signify except his life? The life, his life for your life. And therefore, God's holiness was not compromised. And therefore, God is not condemned by himself. When the guilty or acquitted, the judge is condemned. Now, we'll deal with this more next week, but I wanted to leave you at least, you know, some good feelings. Hopefully you already got some. I mean, as we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, verse, verse 4 begins this way, but God, aren't you glad God butted into your life? Aren't you glad God glad interrupted Aren't you glad that he interrupted himself and interrupted your world and inserted himself? It says, but God, who is rich in mercy. See? The kindness, mercy, and the severity, wrath of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent the grace that we needed to come to him and allow ourselves to be saved. Not of works. Again, <laughs> there's nothing we could do. But because of his mercy, because of his grace. But God, who is rich in mercy. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners. Everybody say still. still. See, God didn't wait for you to make a move. God didn't wait to see if we were going to reciprocate his offering to us. And yet... He said, it says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all God's people. While we were still sinners. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God did something about his own wrath. 
And that is he sent the son to be that propitiation, to be that sacrifice, to be that target of his wrath, to absorb the wrath of God that was meant for us. Worship team, come up. Give you an opportunity to offer a little praise and worship or a lot of praise and worship. If there's any chance that there's someone sitting here today who's never availed themselves of the mercy of God through the born again, born from above experience, and you for the first time see yourself as that, that one who's outside of God's mercy, not unreachable, but outside, uh, then today's the day for you to say yes to Jesus. And I love the way Jack Hayford used to say it, that today's the day for you to begin your journey with Jesus. Whatever response you need to make today, let's thank God that not one person, hopefully under the sound of my voice, not one person is carrying on us the wrath of God, knowing that Jesus took the wrath, but also knowing that we deserve the wrath. Aren't you glad you don't get what you deserve? And we don't get what we deserve because Jesus got what we deserved. So let's just spend a moment worshiping and respond however you need to. You need to come to the altar. You need prayer. Uh, whatever you got cooking for lunch, we'll wait. Go ahead, worship team, lead us.